The Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm 71, verses 17 through 21. You find this scripture in page 615 of your pew Bible. Again, Psalm 71, verses 17 through 21, page 615 in the pew Bible. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Thank you, Russell. Russell said, I really like this verse. It's a verse for me. Talking about gray hair. (laughs) That's a a good one for all of us. It's encouraging. We're continuing to look as far as our New Testament scripture. We're going through the book of uh, the letter, Paul's letter to uh, the church of Philippi, Philippians. And we've been talking about what's the overriding message here and how do we apply that? And the word keeps coming up, joy. So let's look at this little, kind of a funny little section, the end of the second chapter of Philippians. It's actually kind of a little personal insight. This looks more like a laundry list of to-dos than it does a a scripture, uh, but it has so much depth to it. So let's look at that in 2 Timothy verses 19 through 30. It's in your pew Bible on page 1249. I believe that says, yeah. Let's hear what Paul is saying to us. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you very soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. I've got the joy, 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 where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. I remember singing that and getting that. I didn't get the part about the devil sitting on attack kind of thing. But I remember that song. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. But do you and do we? Especially today when all you hear on Facebook and all you see is how concerned and how upset and how mad Christians are about Supreme Court decisions and and flags on Capitol buildings. And we don't seem like a group of people that have a lot of joy. We seem like a lot of ticked off people. (laughs) 
We still have a lot of angry people that are just mad. And where is that joy? And you look at the newspaper and no wonder. There's not much joy. I did see one little story that brought a little joy to my heart. It says that a, an elderly uh, church woman had been in church service that night, came home to her house and surprised to find a thief uh, burglarizing her house. She walked in and interrupted him as he was robbing her house. And she'd just been to church, and the only thing that she could think to do was to quote scripture. So she said, stop. And she said, Acts 2.38, which says, you know, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And lo and behold, the thief just dropped his stuff and just stood there. And she called the police. The police showed up. They put handcuffs on the guy. And as the police was walking him out, they go, why did you just stop what you were doing? That lady, all she did was yell scripture at you. He goes, scripture? She said she had an axe and two 38s. So <laughs> that was pretty good. I don't know if it's true, but I hope it is. <laughs> but Joy, G.K. Chesterton, the great British preacher, said this. Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let me say that again. Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. But is it? Are we? Or is that what we've been displaying lately? When the world looks at us, do they think of joyful people? Or just fearful people that are sticking their head in the sand? How do we look to the world? So I work in pharmaceuticals. I sell pain medicines. And if you go to an ER or to a pain doctor and you have some sort of pain, they'll ask you a pain scale. They will say, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain? And they'll even have it drawn out. It's called the pain. On a scale of 1 to 10, tell us your pain. And if you say 1, you're fine. But if you're like 4 or 5, but if you're like up 8 or 9, man, you're buying my drugs. You're needing some help. And so they ask you what your pain scale is. Well, Paul kind of exposes us too. Paul's kind of saying, what's your joy scale? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say your joy is? Do you spend most of the time down here in the twos and threes? Wah, 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 Eeyore, Christian, never, never going to get better, blah, 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 always bad. Or are you up here? Kind of a tigger, everything's great. <laughs> Where are you on the joy scale? Where are we as a church on the joy scale? Where are we as a Christian family? Do we spend more time down here? Is this how the world sees us? Or are we up here? Well, Paul tells us this is where we should be. Of all people, saved, forgiven, we've got the Lord. We should be the most joyful, but we're not. Why is that? Paul gives us some clues. Why am I so upset about things that just don't matter? Well, we get this. If you look at our joy graphic, this is kind of what we, what we thought about here. It's just that over all this is the joy of Christ. My sister, uh, my daughter Chandler went to Canicut camp when she was 10. She came home and she had this little bracelet on her wrist and it said, I'm third. I kind of like that. You know, they say originality is forgetting where you stole something, so I'm stealing that. It said, I said, what, do you, what does that mean, honey? She said, how do you spell joy? Jesus first, others and yourself. I'm third. And you know what? That's what Paul says. True joy is understanding the priority of relationships just like that. That's where joy is. Jesus, others, ourselves. Let's look at how Paul does this, even in this little scripture here. First of all, the J, Jesus. The very first thing he says in this verse is just one little phrase that tells you where his hope lies. He says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about it. I'm taking that out of context a little bit, but that is the key. He says, first of all, I hope in Jesus. He says it in another way in scripture. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is even better because I get to be with Jesus. I'm not afraid. Death would even be better. I get to be with him. What am I afraid of? 
But life to me is Jesus. It's a formula. Life equals Jesus. How do you fill in that blank? How do we as affluent, comfortable Americans fill in that phrase? Life is my kids. Life is my success. Life is my career. Life is my accomplishments. Life is my money. Life is my spouse. Life is my church. Life is how the Supreme Court votes. Life is my government. Life is my country. No, he says life is Christ. And anything else will sorely disappoint me. Life is Jesus. He said, that is what it's all about. How many of you saw the other night, the convergence? Remember what the convergence? Did you go out and look at it? First time in thousands of years that apparently Venus lined up with Jupiter and gave us this beautiful convergence. Very rarely happens. They think that might be what happened uh, at the, the star of the Magi when Jesus was born. Maybe that's what it was. But my wife and I are looking at that and we're trying to follow it and we're looking at it through binoculars. And she says, you know, my sister and I used to always look at the planets and look at the moon through a telescope. She says, it's very hard to keep a planet or a telescope in your frame of reference for the telescope. Because when you line it up and say, look, by the time the next person looks, it's moved. I said, why is that? She goes, we are moving through space rapidly. In fact, with the Earth rotation combined with a revolution around the sun, combined with the Milky Way moving through space, we're moving at 1.3 million miles an hour. Make you a little dizzy? And so to find that planet, you have to keep refocusing and adjusting to stay with it. Scripture says that Jesus is the light of the world. He's our bright morning star. He's the Lord of the universe. And we have to keep looking and refocusing because the world's spinning out of control. Do you not feel like sometimes we're just out of control? What's next? What, who's going to be on the next magazine? What kind of person is going to look like? What, what's next? The world's spinning out of control. And Paul says, <laughs> keep focusing. Look, every day through scripture, through prayer, through fellowship, through being together, through meditation, through opening our heart to the Holy Spirit, keep refocusing on Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised and shame, and seated at the right hand of God. Guess what he's saying? We win. It's going to be okay. He's coming back. Don't forget Jesus says there will always be problems. The world will always have troubles, but I've overcome those troubles. I'm coming back. It's going to be okay. Quit acting like scared little paranoid Christians and trust that God is in charge. Focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In fact, what does Hebrews say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what happens in Washington or the Supreme Court or in Iraq or whatever, Jesus is still Jesus. And that's for we have joy. What is your joy in? The second part of Paul's great little formula, if you will, pattern lifestyle for joy is the O, others. It's about other people. It's not about me. Listen to how he describes Timothy, this young disciple, and Epaphroditus, his buddy. He doesn't say they're great men in Christ or they know the scriptures or they're intelligent or they're successful. He describes them like this. They have genuine concern for others. And they long for, listen to what he says about Epaphroditus. He's longing for you. He really cares about you. Someone said egotism is a person that is me deep in every conversation. (laughs) It's always about me. It's always about me. And and look at me. That that's what narcissism and egotism looks like. And Christ says you're not to be that kind of. But Paul says, don't look out just in your own interest. Look for interests of others. That's what makes a difference. They'll know we're Christians by how we treat each other. And how we care for other people. 
The Roman Empire was not overthrown by an army swarming in. It was overthrown because when the plague came and wiped out millions of Romans and Christians, the rich Romans took off for the hills and the Christians stayed and took care of their dying and the pagans that were dying. And the general said, how can we ever fight this religion when they care for others? That's what changed the world. That's how Rome was overthrown. By Christians caring so much for other people that they would take their own disease on. That's what it looks like. My wife and I were recently with some people we love dearly. I grew up with them. We were in Austin and, this, and they've done well. They're like the epitome of Facebook people. I, I hated to even look at them. I'm like, what are they doing now? My life sucks, you know? Because <laughs> they have this wonderful life and all these great things and I'm happy for them. But as we were with them for an hour and a half, I walked away thinking, they didn't ask one question about our kids, our life. They, they, asked, they didn't ask one thing about us. I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be so much about me that Jesus is nowhere to be found. There's no joy in that. It's not about me. In fact, that's the next point here. One is that Jesus is first. Two is that others are second. And the third is that I'm, I'm last. I'm third. In fact, Paul kind of puts a little negative in there. He says, Timothy, the great thing about Timothy, he really cares for others. He's probably a 20-year-old kid. Guess what? He cares about other people. Not like the others, it says, who only look after their own interest, not after the interest of Jesus Christ. That's what selfishness looks like. That's what the problem is with our society and our selfies and our me's and our iPads and YouTubes and iPhones and all about me. That's not what brings joy to people. That's not what Christians look like. Rick Warren wrote one of the most popular Christian books ever written. The first line in Purpose Driven Life is this. It's not about me. The world will tell you it's about you every day, and that's what makes us miserable because me never gets satisfied. Timothy Keller, Tim Keller the great evangelist who has revolutionized New York City with 20-somethings. <laughs> he says in his book, it's a great book, he struggled with selfishness like I do. It's called The Art of Self-Forgetfulness. It's about that big. It says, when can you get to the point where you walk into a room and you don't care what people think, and you don't care what you look like, and you don't care about yourself? When can you have a conversation where you're more worried about what you say, where you're not so worried about what you say? When can you get to a point where you're more excited about your friend's success than you are your own? That when their kids do better than yours, you're happy. When they get a promotion and you don't, you're happy. When their name is in the paper and yours are not, you're happy. When they are wealthier than you and happier with you and going places you can't go, that you're happier for them. When can you get there? He says, Paul did that. Paul says, I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me. Because Jesus loves me. I am beloved and I'm precious in his sight. And that's the only person I care about. That's what joy looks like. I've used this before, but if you remember the person Copernicus, the 1500s, this Italian astronomer, he made a shocking revelation, which was unheard of to astronomers, to astronomers, astrologists and astronomers, and to the church of Rome and to all scientists. He said, I got a shock for you. We're not the center of the universe. We're not even the center of our solar system. We, we revolve around a sun with other planets and we're the smallest planet in the small, we're the smallest solar system. We're not even the middle of the universe. And he was called a heretic. And he was, and he was thrown out of the church for it, but he was right. Guess what, folks? Shock. I'm not the center of the universe. You're not the center of the universe. You're not the center of your family. You're not the center of your friendships. You're not the center of this church. You're not the center of this city. The Lord is God. We revolve around the sun. He is king. And that's a hard lesson that we have to learn. Paul says it like this. If you truly know Jesus and want to know joy, 
You have to be crucified like him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives, but he who lives inside of me. That's a hard death. It takes your whole life. But therein is the path of joy. Instead of the self-consumed, self-focused, narcissistic American society that is ruining our kids. It's about showing people that Christ died for us so that we can live for others. And it will kill our affluent society if we don't get that now. And I see it in kids every day. They can't cope because they were told they're the center of the world and they don't need to know that. They need to know that Jesus is the center of the world. Amen. Amen. That's what joy is. And Paul says that. So how are you doing? Jesus, others, yourself. What does this look like? What's the practicality of this? Well, Paul gives us a very practical. He just uses one little conjunction, conjunction, and, the word and. Like peanut butter and jelly, salt and pepper. You know, I mean, it's all think about all the ands in the world. Mumford and Sons, the Robert, uh, Batman and Robin. Well, Paul always has an and in his life, and it shows his pattern for joy. He's never by himself. He's not a one-man show all about him. It's not me, me, me. It's always Paul and Silas. Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Paul and Timothy now, and Paul and Epaphroditus. He shows this great thing. First, he shows that one of the keys to joy and getting this and how we're going to change this world one person at a time, not from the Supreme Court, not from our government, but one heart at a time, the way we're going to change this world is by taking those who are younger in the faith, who don't know Jesus, who are young, and walking along and leading them to Christ. That's his Timothy this 20-something-year-old that he's taken over. This is so rare for a Jewish Pharisee, a Jewish man, to take on a young man as a, and to mentor him was unheard of. So we have Timothy, and that describes him here. He says he's a disciple, and he has a heart for him. It says, like a son to a father. Folks, I know a lot of sons in this town that don't have fathers. There's hundreds and hundreds of young ladies that don't have mothers. They need spiritual mentors. They need spiritual leaders. There are people that are younger than you. They may be older than you, but they're younger than you in the faith, and they need leaders. And one of the greatest things Paul says we can do is not try to just rant and rave and, and yell at the Supreme Court for all their wrongness. It's to change people, bring them to Christ one person at a time. That's how we change the world, by these young people in our church, these children, our, our high school, is lead them to Christ. They'll change the world. They'll change this country one heart at a time. And one of the greatest things we can do as a church is to love our young people as a son loves a father, as a father loves a son. Then the next thing he says that we need to be healthy, joyful Christians is not only a Paul and a Timothy relationship, but an Epaphroditus, a Barnabas, a, a, a Paul and Silas relationship. Epaphroditus is his buddy. He's a band of brothers. He's that guy you can always count. He's that good friend in Christ or that woman that your dear, dear sister in Christ. He says he's a brother. He's a fellow soldier and a fellow worker. Arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. Paul says, you've got to have someone that not only are you leading people, but you're walking along beside someone. Guess when men get in trouble when they're alone? Guess why preachers flame out and have affairs? Guess why physicians run off with secretaries and nurses? And, and guess why church secretaries run off? Guess why we have these horrible, because men are alone. And they should be with a brother in Christ saying, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. I love you too much to let you ruin your life. That's what happens when we don't walk with someone in Christ, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. We're not meant to be alone, gentlemen. We've got to have a brother in Christ, ladies, a sister in Christ. That's what maturity and joy looks like. 
what are some, so how do you do this? Let's just, let's just look at real world. Are we just talking theology and theory here? No. These Ruth and Naomi relationships, these Jonathan and David, consider in our church, great examples. So Vicki Boxwell gets involved in our Neighbor for Neighbor program. She meets this young lady who's in an abusive relationship, has a young daughter, didn't have a GED. Vicki starts working with her. Lulu Cowan comes along and starts working with her. They get her out of this abusive relationship. They get her a home. They get her a GED. They get her a job. She clears her legal hurdles so she can get a car. She gets to go to school. She, gets her, she expunges her record and applies and is now accepted to nursing school. That's miraculous stuff. That's what it looks like to have a Timothy and a Paul. That's, that's what this looks like when you, when you do those kind of things. So our friend Daryl Smith works at Pantex, and a, a, young guy, a new guy comes to work from New Mexico and moves here and doesn't know the Lord, and, and, and Daryl invites him to church to do a Bible study, and he comes to know Jesus, and he joins our church, and then he starts working as a volunteer, and he meets one of our young ladies, and he, he, gets, he marries Tamala. And now, he's, and now we have Tamala and Alan in our church body because someone wanted to be a Paul. My wife... Is not an evangelist. My wife is the shyest person you ever meet. People think she's rude because she's so painfully shy. And yet she shows up at the zoo to volunteers at the zoo, and these two college girls that, that, that have the same love for animals start talking to her and fall in love with her, and then she brings them to church, and they get involved in Gap, and now they're in Bible study, and they're going to Honduras with us. That's what it looks like. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? One of the greatest joys, the, the scripture that I had read is my, my wife's calling. One of the greatest joys that Lisa and I have ever had is the privilege in your church to work with young people, 20-somethings, college and older. It's been the greatest joy of our lives to watch these young people and to see how God uses them. I want to introduce you to a couple of those guys real quick. Stephen, come on up. Stephen's going to sing a couple of numbers. And... No. <laughs> I told him I wouldn't embarrass him. Stephen, uh, a couple of years ago, just tell, tell us where you were spiritually and what your connection was with First Pres or this ministry or these friends. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wasn't, I wasn't even at this church. Um, I was two years ago, I was at a church in Lubbock. But um, spiritually, I, I was on fire for the Lord, just like I am now. But I didn't have a church, I didn't have this church family, uh, a group of people I could, that would call me or I could call on. Um, and then, uh, how'd you get here? Well, I, I got here through a friend, Dominic, and he introduced me to Kim actually. Um, and then we went on the mission trip last year to Honduras. And then, uh, from then I just, we, we built a relationship. Kim, Kim, he's, he's amazing. He took me in and just kind of just discipled me. And, uh, he's came, he just came like a best friend or a mentor or dad even. By the way, Dad, I need a little bit of money. <laughs> good timing. Good timing. <laughs> so it does cost you. <laughs> but uh, and then everybody, everyone else, we just we're not vulnerable. Mike, we we talk. Um, Cody, Dominic, and just anybody. Uh, just we're just tight knitted group of, of family. And um, so, like he said, it, we don't need to be alone. And and it's awesome because when I do feel vulnerable. I have men and even women that, that I can call, and, uh, and they're there for me. And, and it's, they just, we just, it's the body of Christ working together, and we just pull each other through. So it's amazing. Steve has become one of our leaders involved in uh, Vacation Bible School here and one of our Cove leaders and going back to Honduras, bringing friends, bringing people from work that don't know Christ. It's just 
thrilling to watch his life. And that leads me to another person that Stephen, after Don shared with Stephen, invited him. Stephen invited another friend. Michael, come on up. I've already given him my money, so I promise him. <laughs> this is my friend Michael Williams. Michael's actually from uh, New Jersey. And just tell us how, like a year ago, what you were doing and how you got involved with this. Well, um, I actually been a carny for a little while, four years, and then uh, moved out to Texas. Um, just, I don't know, just had that piece. I needed to come out here. Uh, I've been coming out here for about 12 years. And, and uh, I met Stephen through a small group, a men's group in another church. And uh, he was just, you know, just kind of met up randomly at a Hastings. I'm like, hey, I haven't seen him in a while, like a year almost. And, and uh, he's like, hey, man, you got to come check out this, uh, this group. Um, it's, uh, we're, uh, you got you to gotta meet Kim. You got to meet this group. Um, I really want you to, to try to get connected. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll check it out and, and uh, see what's going on. And, and uh, I've been coming ever since, and it's been really... Um, like Stephen was saying, it's a very tightly knitted group. Just people are very real to each other, and we just uh, ex- express that love of Christ. And, and uh, it's really just, I don't know, it's a, it's a blessing to be in this group and, and be with these people. I mean, uh, I n- never would have thought I'd be so connected in a place. I mean, I've, yeah. It's wonderful. So. And Michael and Steve and I, some other guys, meet at Calico County every Thursday morning. They're going to Honduras with us. It's just a privilege. Don't worry about next generation. It's going to be okay. Let's hear it for these guys. <laughs> what about you? Who is someone that's coming along in the faith, younger, younger in the faith? Who's your Timothy? And do you have a Paul? Who are you looking forward to? Who's helping you walk and follow in Christ? And then the other Timothy beside, who's your Epaphroditus? Who's your fellow worker, your fellow soldier? Who's someone that you can walk with? It says that three-chord strand is not easily broken. Two are better than one, so one can lift the other up. Who is your brother in Christ? Who's your sister in Christ? Uh, God's given me Murray Gossett for 25 years. Murray Gossett and I met at United every day. We've walked together, and he's helped me through life-changing, could have made horrible decisions. And it's it's so encouraging to have someone who always wonders where I am and always checking on me. Who's your Epaphroditus? Dick Dole came along recently. We were doing this gap thing, and, and I'm, not, I, I'm a big vision person, but Dick Dole came along and has just been a joy to work with, like a band of brothers. He's loved on these kids since in Texas. He, we wouldn't even make it out of Amarillo if it wasn't for him. We'd be stuck at the airport for three days if it were me. Who's your, who's your Dick Doyle? Pray for that. Who are you a Dick Doyle to? Who's your Epaphroditus? Scripture says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do you have that kind of friend in Christ? Ask for one. Be one. There's joy in that. In 1954, an English don wrote a strange, strange book. Books back then were all pride and prejudice and, and about romance and about history. And, and those were the only things that were selling. He wrote this strange fantasy. He took it to the bookstore. They said, that's ridiculous. There's no romance in it. And it's a fantasy. Nobody likes fantasy. But one book company took a chance. It became the most popular book of the century almost, and it's become one of the most best-selling books of all time. Because it's about a friendship, about these two little hobbits. And he wrote The Lord, and it became a movie that won an Oscar, one of the few movies to ever win an Oscar that wasn't about romance or sex or, or a biography. It was about friendship. And it's about Frodo and Sam. 
And here's what happens when you try to leave your Sam behind or don't have a Sam. Watch what happens when Frodo tries to go out on his own. Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. Jesus makes a promise to never leave us or forsake us. He is our joy. Is it your joy? How's your joy scale? Is Jesus first, others second, and you third? That's the key to joy. But you first have to know Jesus. Make sure he's your Lord and Savior. And then who's your Sam? Who's your Frodo? Who are you going to walk with? Who are you going to lead? Who are you going to follow? Christ says, I've come to have joy and have it abundantly. Let's have that joy, church. Can we? Amen. And Will's going to tell you about something that we've been doing for others. Good morning.